oh hello there um i always start like that don't i it cracks me up every time how many years are we gonna have to do this before i can quit laughing when you just start like you know it's we ran into each other in the street corner <laughs> I, I think it's important you know it's it's um it's a colloquial approach to podcasting um i'm, I'm not quite as startled always as i sound as we've we've covered this before, Beck, it's acting. It's it's a veneer of sincerity and spontaneity. Uh, um, yeah. And the reason the reason why um, we are um, coming at you with episode uh, fourteen. So fourteen or fifteen? Was it fifteen? Oh, I don't know. Oh well, we better. I better dig into that. I've I've labelled it fourteen. In which case, I better not overwrite the last one. Um, we're here to say we've got an important message, haven't we? We've got an important guest, indeed. Um, and we are here to say, don't panic. That's right. Don't don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the food. All will be all will be revealed. Um, but we've brought Jess in. It's only Doctor Jessica Barker. Woo! Oh, hello there. Hello, Jess. Oh, hi. Look, fancy meeting you on this street corner. That sounds really dodgy, by the way. <laughs> I did feel like my sort of "oh, hello" there was a little bit carry on. So, I think we've already made a terrible mistake. We've already made a terrible mistake. As you know, we don't edit these things, so we're going to keep it in. But it's an important lesson for all the listeners about social distancing. <laughs> But we need to remind the listeners we are not, in fact, all standing on the same street corner. <laughs> because the only way that we would be allowed to do that is that if we all lived in the same house. It'd be terribly hard to hold all this equipment like that, though. <laughs> in another world, in another world, an alternative reality, all the women who work in InfoSec live in the same house. <laughs> It's me, it's you two, it's Jane Franklin, it's Nicola Whiting. Who else is it? It's all those, all the, we're actually all the same person, aren't we? <laughs> oh my God, the multifaceted persona of the cybersecurity woman. There's just one of us doing really good impersonations. It's like Scooby-Doo, you can just take off the mask again and again. <laughs> and so it's the woman in cyber janitor, what did it? And if it, and if it weren't for those pesky kids, she'd have got away with it. If it wasn't for those pesky script kiddies. <laughs> right, so, um, scary times and... We've noticed, haven't we? We've noticed a pickup in certainly COVID nineteen related scams, and there's quite a broad church of that. But also attacks that are reaching media coverage that are now being linked to um, COVID nineteen and, and coronavirus. Um, so yes, we're getting the um, the the scams that are proposing, you know, miracle cures. That's that's one of them. Um, but also we started seeing more SMS alerts, you know, click here, follow this link to get your tax rebate, to get mm. your self-employment grants, etc. Mm. Um, I got one the other day, which I thought was particularly pernicious. Pernicious is a good word, isn't it? That's a 10 um, point word right there. <laughs> <laughs> It's a classicist word. If I um, can just get my dictionary, I'll tell you whether it's a good word. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Well, 
what we'd like is some comedy noises, Jess, of you walking off in a pair of stilettos <laughs> to consult your library. I'm not. Let me see. I'm not. I'm not sure. I did my best. That I think. I think it was a great effort, actually. <laughs> Um, I've had a particularly pernicious SMS scam, um, which said that um, my payment for my mobile provider hadn't gone through, and so I needed to click on a link. And of course, when we're all uh, using um, communications technology, or we're much more heavily dependent on it, let's say, there's much more traffic for working from home, for keeping in touch with family and friends, then it becomes much more essential, doesn't it? So it feels more urgent, perhaps, Mm. than it might ordinarily do. Yeah, that's Um, a sneaky one. Yeah. That's a sneaky one. Yeah. So I just had this conversation the other day with someone, and the question um, that was put to me is, you know, why does it feel like there's a sudden increase in, you know, COVID-19 specific scams. And the the point that sprang to mind for me is, you know, we've seen time and time again when there have been sort of more regionalized disasters. So where we've had, for example, the tsunamis, we'd have earthquakes, we've had um, the volcano, you remember off the coast of New Zealand, and, and there's always scams and things to follow up the regional. So of course, you know, this is a global pandemic. The attackers are rubbing their hands gleefully and going, our audience is lit literally billions right now, you know, let's hit them with everything we've got. They are all completely afraid. They're all worried. Everyone is ignorant of what this means. They're clicking everything to try and get as much information as possible. You know, let's go for it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. They know we're distracted. They know we're, we're tired, busy. Um, They know we're worried. We want as much information as we can about it. Um, so you're absolutely right. They're always going to draw on on issues, on problems, on tragedies. Um, so unfortunately, it, it's inevitable that they were going to do this. And some of the stats that have come out about how many more threats there are at the minute and how many are using COVID-19 is really quite shocking. So I saw Proofpoint, they'd released some research saying, by their calculation, 80% of the sort of threat landscape is using the virus as a sort of a means of attack. And they reeled off a number of stats over how many sort of fishes and things they have seen, 500,000 messages, 300,000 malicious URLs, all using the COVID-19 theme. Right. And and what I saw with that um, particular mobile carrier SMS that I got, right, it purports to be legit. I mean, you know, you, you all you need to do is check the URL. It's the usual, yeah, the usual stuff for busting, um, you know, these kinds of uh, vectors. But um, someone who doesn't work in InfoSec can say, well, how they got my carrier right. How do they know that I'm with O2 or with Vodafone? Of course, what most people don't realize is that most of the time you can check by the mobile code which particular provider it is, right? Unless, Unless people are carrying their numbers over. So all that people need to do, all that criminals need to do is get these numbers and say, right, well, that's an O2 one, that's a Vodafone one. Let's just chuck these things out and see how many hits we get. And it works on exactly the same basis as, you know, all the old phishing emails that as long as you get a certain 
minimal percentage of people to click on those links, you've done your work for the week. Yeah. And that's only where they're taking the time to customize them, right? I mean, look at how many scams where they don't even care. There's no customization necessary. They're literally playing on, you know, okay, are you a resident within XYZ particular country that's doing, you know, an HMRC um, tax uh, refund or or tax, um, uh, not tax, sorry. Uh, What's the thing they're doing in the schools where they're helping people that normally would get free meals? Like they're offering people- Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so they're scamming people for that even as well. And the thing that really irritates me, and and actually one of the reasons I joined, if you guys have heard the Cyber Volunteers 19 initiative. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, Daniel Card and, and Lisa Fort have put that together. And that's been really fascinating because it's helping those people that are already vulnerable and especially obviously the people in the healthcare services, but by trying to tackle some of this really obvious stuff, you know, get it reported into phishing, you know, do Intel for some of these um, healthcare providers and services. And yeah, it's just so frustrating to see people that are already vulnerable being attacked. Yeah. It's, and it's, I, I read a, I've read a couple of terrible ones. One that I found really upsetting um, was not really a, a cyber one. Um, it was a scam in Italy, criminals posing as health workers. And they were, I think they were outside like supermarkets, stopping elderly people, um, saying they could give a test for COVID-19. And then when the individuals were distracted, they were robbing them. Oh, my and gosh. you just... Oh, you just feel absolutely shocked and appalled, don't you? When you read things like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like for me working in the the banking industry, I've learned a lot about different kinds of scams and things over the last year, you know, um, and especially obviously targeting elderly and vulnerable people is an example for for those types of scams as well, where they play upon the fact that they're not technically savvy either. So for this one, right, they're playing upon the fact that people aren't medically savvy and they're they're just hitting them up, you know, really and taking advantage of, of, yeah, that I made the joke about food earlier. I should probably explain that, but the, the fun the fear, uncertainty, and doubt component to it. Mm. Yep. So Jess, I mean, you make it your business. You're you're a a leading expert, if you don't mind me saying so, in um, building resilience with the the people in companies so that they're not falling for scams, so that they're resisting the urges to click on the links, etc. What would be your advice to the people out there, the ordinary people who are getting these messages at a time when actually everything does feel a bit more urgent and scary. Yeah, it's. I always want to resist that E word, expert, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it is it's, okay, it's okay. It's okay when somebody else says it. <laughs> you are a resident emu. <laughs> but yeah, it is. <laughs> You're a resident emo. You're a emo. resident. What other E words do I know? <laughs> Elephant. <laughs> I, I, if you'd if you'd like to go off and check your dictionary, how about an how about an echidna? Oh, <laughs> right there she goes pulling out the fancy words as usual. I left my Is dictionary that- at the other side of the room. Are you telling me I've got to go back, Vic? <laughs> yeah, go on off you go. <laughs> <laughs> If those sound effects don't come through, I'm going to be so sad. I know, me too, me too. I was not prepared for sound effects, I've got to be honest. No to future guests. Yeah, considering you weren't prepared, I think you've done jolly well. (laughs) Right, so we did have a serious question. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, it is what I spend a lot of my time doing is working generally with people in organizations, helping them understand what's happening in terms of cybersecurity. And a, a massive focus for me is to help people feel informed and empowered and less scared, less of the of the food or the fud. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna stick with you now. Admit it. Admit it. <laughs> it's when I say it by accident that I'm worried about. But <laughs> oh, I wait, and- I have to explain myself now because people are just gonna think I'm more of an idiot than normal. So I was chatting with someone a while back and they kept talking over and over about food. And I finally had to stop this particular individual. I said, I'm not sure I understand the context of food and what we're talking about. And they said, you know, F-U-D. And I was like, oh, right. This is where different pronunciations do matter. (laughs) So sorry, I step back now. Back to you, Jess. (laughs) No, it's a perfect segue. Because when you're you're dealing with FUD, um, I think a really important thing is to help people need to understand the threat and they need to understand how it relates to them. But what's really important is helping people understand what they can do to better protect themselves. Mm. Um, and the why is really important, why they should um, be interested in engaging with this stuff, these ways to protect themselves. So we always want to try and be proportionate when we talk about the threat. Um, focusing on why it matters is really crucial. And um, I've seen a lot of this in terms of the the messaging actually around COVID-19, where it feels like some officials have failed a little bit to communicate the why. um, And people haven't maybe engaged with some of the social distancing as early as they could have. So I think the why is, is really crucial. But just helping people understand there are some things they can do to better protect themselves. And when it comes to things like fishing, you know, look out for something that is really preying on your emotions. If you get a text, an email, a phone call, any communication that makes you immediately feel emotional, like a time pressure, a panic, flattery, um, even, you know, sympathy at a time like this, then that's really important to take a step back and don't open the attachment, don't click the link, don't transfer the money, go to the source. So if it pretends to come from HMRC, go straight to HMRC, go to their website, go to a trusted source and check there whether it's legitimate. Right. Yeah. No, that's there's been some um, there's been some really really good stuff put out on um, you know challenging the sources of misinformation and I don't know if you saw but Jeff White did a really good twenty second YouTube video this week all about look if you get um, an inf- you know so a piece of information on social media or for instance he used a um, an email that was purporting to come from Johns Hopkins University. Um, and he just showed people how to do the Google site search yes. just by, you know, focusing on does this text appear on Johns Hopkins University's website anywhere? If it doesn't, it probably doesn't come from Johns Hopkins University. And I think misinformation has become a lot more challenging in the wake of COVID-19. I mean, I've been following, um, as as is my wont, I follow lots of local Facebook groups because I want to see what people are getting in a bit of a spin about. Mm. And one of the things that's really kind of twitched my antennae has been all of those like text-based posts that you see on social media at the minute, which say something like, 
this isn't from me, this was from a doctor, or this isn't from me, this was from somebody who works in the NHS. And then you get this big post about everything that you should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and nothing in that post is of itself false or suspicious, but it feels like the kind of spammy chain letters that we were all getting by email, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. It feels like it's it's doing two things. One, it's designed to clog up social media, which just feels spammy in itself and, and harmful in itself. And secondly, it's as if we are we've been mobilized um to contribute to the scaremongering machine for all the other citizens, you know, like we're stoking the fear. Um, and it feels to me, I might be wrong, I have a hunch and, and I would love for a researcher to dig into this. I would love to know who originally seeded these posts because part of me feels like this could be coordinated disinformation. Um, but, uh, but that you know, the jury's out on that one. And I think it's an indication of the slightly weird world that we're in with COVID-19 is, you know, when world leaders are, are tweeting and posting misinformation. So just today, um, Facebook and Twitter had to delete posts from um, President Bolsonaro from Brazil and um, Maduro from Venezuela. So Bolsonaro has claimed that hydroxychloroquine is totally effective oh in treating coronavirus oh. and he had to have his post taken down. Oh and God. Nicolas Maduro... Um, tweeted a homemade treatment oh, wow. as being oh, successful in, in treating coronavirus. Now, I I just think, okay, in, a, in some ways it's kind of quite bizarrely encouraging to see that, okay, even, even world leaders can get duped by this stuff. They're just humans. But actually we do expect their teams to be keeping a little bit more control over what they're saying because of the amount of influence and impact that they can have on their citizens. And it's and I think it's becoming even more challenging than it was before for ordinary citizens to determine what's re reliable and trustworthy and what's not. Oh, absolutely. But doesn't this go back to, I mean, the original, well, I don't know, the original, some of the early disinformation campaigns were between, for example, the the um, capitalism and, and, and um, communism, right? But yeah. those wars were waged in completely different mediums, obviously. And so the medium that we have now, it's so fast, um, it's so accessible, you know, to every individual. And then especially where you have these world leaders that have it at their fingertips, <laughs> Trump, you know, Brings to mind. Um, I mean, that man alone shared the hydroxychloroquine stuff as well. And then I actually yeah. saw this was, I think, two weeks ago. Um, a couple died in the States because they had um, gotten their hands on, I believe it was called chloroquine phosphate, which I think is a fish tank cleaning chemical. I read that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, but they died as a result of taking that following on from, now I don't know if they were directly linked, but, you know, the, the article claimed following on from, you know, basically. Basically, Trump advocating that um, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine was, you know, supposed to be effective. And yeah, I completely agree with you. This is where I think we should be. What kind of controls actually should we have? And this is an interesting question to me because one of the things, and I know Vic, you and I have come back to this time and time again, we'll get Justice take, but, you know, sh does this mean we need more globalized control? Do we mm -hmm. need more regionalized control where we start to work, you know, more closely together? Or what, what's the solution here? Because obviously we're going to have to make some changes. 
it's interesting as well. I noticed on Twitter, it was only a few days ago, I think, where they started, Twitter was pushing out and is still pushing out if you want to see the official um, posts, you know, if you want to see information from the authorities, um, click here. And they're kind of keeping that at the top of your feed or they certainly, right. they certainly yeah. are for me. Yes. Yeah. So trying to help people, trying to encourage people to follow those official sources. But you're absolutely right, Victoria, when we say, you know, if it's then official people who are spreading information and i'm sure some are doing it you know with good intent but spreading information that actually isn't accurate and isn't reliable then we're being told they are more of an authority of course we're being encouraged to follow those tweets more and then it all becomes undermined yes yeah yeah and we um i mean one of the things that i um, get asked about every so often and I'll get asked to comment on is, you know, the conspiracy theorists and there've been some absolutely fantastic and fantastic in the classical sense of the word, you know, the kind of unbelievable um, links being made with 5G, with Brexit. So, you know, COVID-19, it's, it's been released by the UK to distract attention from um, Brexit wow. or to slow down the Brexit process. I, I saw that That's one. Quite a good one. Yeah, I saw that one. That 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 definitely took the cake. I, I thought in terms of cons- conspiracy theories, but you know what? Yeah. It's awfully difficult. I think not to sort of let your brain wander down some of these types of theories, especially if you're normally prone to maybe having a bit of you know uh, risk averse type of attitude. Anyway, I mean, I myself have gone through bouts of you know, okay, who could have started this? This is a nation state thing. This feels like a nation state mm-hmm. thing. It's nation state, right? You know, and so mm-hmm. you're sort of having to talk yourself around to um, you know how do we figure out and how do we sort out what is the truth so i can certainly see where people especially during a time like this are coming up with some of these more uh shall we say creative uh theories and i think it ties into that earlier point about these posts we're seeing on social media that say oh a friend of my cousin's wife's sister works in a hospital (laughs) or is a researcher and they and like this is the inside information this is what we're not being told but or you're hearing it here first and that really feeds into that kind of suspicion of experts or of authority or this feeling that actually what you're being fed in the mainstream is not right so you've got to listen to that whisper network yes yes yeah and, you know, I, I've been joking with myself. You know, I talk to myself quite a lot, actually. And, and I'd love one to of the tell you that I've surprises saying, any of us, Vic, but it doesn't. <laughs> and, and I've been saying to myself recently, we'll be burning witches next. Oh. But actually, actually, we've kind of already taken a step towards that because do you remember that poor guy from – Singapore, who's a student in London, and somebody beat him up mm. in the street saying, oh, oi, coronavirus, and then they smashed yeah. his face in. Yeah. And and look, not only is that something that any right-thinking person is thoroughly ashamed of, and, and, you know, our hearts go out to him, poor chap, for having to suffer that kind of stupidity and, and injury from, well, idiots, Um but we've got to watch this as a society. We've got to really, really keep an eye on this because, you know, we're seeing, aren't we, people dobbing each other into the police. You know, this is this is <laughs> this is how authoritarian regimes work, is when you've got, you know, 
um, right, you know, quote unquote, right thinking citizens saying, well, they're not abiding by the social distancing rules. We're going to dob them into the police, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, I- and then, and then, you know, drones being used for <laughs> to to surveil um, people who are out walking their dogs and stuff. And and I think you know, it this whole crisis is going to raise some really, really important discussions about surveillance, appropriate behavior, public order, et cetera, that are going to be debated about for a very long time, I think. Oh, absolutely. I've already read articles as well where they're talking about changes that they see now that could potentially impact society as we go forward. Um, I Oh, here I, I'm going to say something even though I don't remember exactly, so just take it all with a grain of salt. But I think it was in China where they were talking about some of the changes that they've brought in now, such as temperature checks and things like that. They um, Because they see that following people even now is starting to have a loosening of some of their restrictions, the concern mm. is that that's going to continue to impact and follow on in that society, you know, for many, many, many months to come. Um, And I could see that happening in other places, in particular, where they're talking about incorporating surveillance, for example, into keeping track of, you know, quote, unquote, impacted individuals and their journey. You know, these are all the kinds of words that to us as security professionals, I think, probably raise the hair on the back of our neck. You know, it's like, right, those are words are kind of scary. Let's be careful when we start talking about that stuff. Yeah, and when you when you read history and you read about authoritarian regimes and you sort of think how did it how did it get to that? But you can see when powers are put in place and when there is an argument of course for the greater good, how then do we get to a point where those powers are checked, you know, if they're put in place for a couple of years, then to what extent does it shift what we expect to be normal? Um, and social norms in society, what we will tolerate. And then you're looking at a whole change in terms of how we operate on a social level. Absolutely. Well, look at, so for the US, right? 9-11, perfect example. Following Mm -hmm. on from 9-11, airport security completely changed. And that's a change that's been carried over for years and years and years. Only recently have they started to look at, you know, maybe we don't need everybody to take their shoes off all the time. You know, maybe our tech is good enough now. We don't need to inspect your Nikes when you come through. And I just, I find it fascinating that it's taken so many years years, you know, to, to look at, and as you said, Jess, to look at, you know, is there something here we can roll back or we tweak or we eventually lose that sort of control that we gained during that crisis period? Yeah. So securitization is, um, yeah, it's, it's a forward movement and very rarely is it rolled back and, and securitization relies on the extraordinary situation, the exceptional situation, the, you know, the introduction of emergency powers, but you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's not so often that governments will intervene and say, actually, do you know what? We don't need these powers anymore. And we've seen that in Israel, haven't we, with the um, introduction of new powers to um, the Shin Bet, the um, Israeli security agency, to track people's movements. And, you know, people have rightly, commentators have rightly raised, well, 
this might be an emergency situation, but who's going to roll this back when it's no longer needed? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like one of the things that um, has been interesting as well is as, um, for example, coming at this again from the bank's perspective is, you know, as you start to look at all the changes and things that you need to implement when you're starting to move an entire workforce to a work from home scenario, you're trying to keep track of process changes and things and trying to keep in the back of your mind, right, we've got to remember to roll these changes back when we all come back into the office. And again, it's that whole security posture, but from a technical perspective, you know? And so it, it, it's interesting to think about that difference between sort of, I guess, the digitized changes and the need to track them, you know, on, from a work-based scenario, but then into our personal lives as well. That was a nice segue back to the work from home scenario. And today we've had um, a news story pretty much handed to us on a plate, haven't we, by the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, who tweeted his lovely Zoom-mediated cabinet meeting and then everybody pointed out that his screenshot had the meeting ID in it. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a facepalm moment <laughs> if we were touching our faces, which we're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's just painful when that stuff happens. That goes back to um, the, the leaders needing to have maybe a bit more security guidance before some of the social media interaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, thinking and, about... Um, sorry, go ahead, Vic. Yeah, so I was just, I was thinking about um, some of the cool advice that Rick Ferguson put out, you know, about Zoom bombing. Yes. And how people are intruding into people's Zoom meetings and um, showing them naughty ladies and things like that and naughty gentlemen and um you know put it for goodness sake just put a password on it that's a good step forward isn't it always good advice to have a password on whatever you're doing have a password make it good <laughs> no it's a perfect so, example yeah Oh, we went quiet, didn't we? <laughs> I was trying not to step on your toes again, Vic. I thought you were going to add something. No, else I know. And to be honest with you, I was just making noise for the sake of it, and that's that's never happened before. <laughs> so I, I have to add, right? So I, because you mentioned Boris Johnson, I had thought the other day, I was like, I wonder what it's like being Boris Johnson working from home. Like, do you think he's got like a fancy desk and like a really plushy chair? Do you think he's like holed up in his PJs in bed with his laptop on his pillow? I mean, I just <laughs> does it depend on how how bad he feels like is his fever above 37.5 then he's you know sort of um out of bed or in bed or like what's the what are the measures that dictate that for the leader of the UK <laughs> I know when he shared the the video on social media that he you know had um tested positive he was in a, a suit and tie I said the same thing mm, to my wife yeah. I was like look at the man he's insane he should be in his comfies right now What's I know <laughs> Yeah, maybe he was wearing his jammies on his bottom half, you know, like so many of us. But dude, you could have worn a hoodie. You know? <laughs> See, I can't do that actually. So I um I had my very first ever work from home gig um in two two thousand and four to two thousand seven ish, and I I'll never forget the first week of that. I was like, yes, I'm totally going to wear my PJs and be in bed. It's going to be a maze balls. I did that for like three days, and I was like, oh. Oh, no, I must get up and get a shower and get dressed and sit at a real desk. This is not going to work. 
<laughs> yeah, you've, you. I personally find I've got to have some structure. I've got to have a desk. I'll wear comfies, but you know, I'm not staying in my pajamas. <laughs> like, no, you can't. You just can't. I, for one, I just feel it makes me more tired. I know that doesn't seem to make sense, but I just feel drained. You know, before the morning's even half done, if I haven't gotten out of my pajamas, <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. You need to get in the zone, the work zone. I'm not wearing a tie. I'm, not, I'm, I'm keeping. I'm keeping really, really quiet. Vix in her pajamas already. Did right notice. Now. Did notice you went quiet there. So I've got quite. I've got quite an interesting situation in that. Of course, I work from home quite a lot. You know, when I'm not traveling, I'm I'm working from home, and um, now that my other half, now that my husband is working from home, I feel like. I'm somehow, you know, being watched more closely (laughs) and that I need to make a bit more of an effort with myself. Brilliant. You're like picking up your rubbish after you, after you eat, right? Instead of just leaving it all day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and he has spent the best part of the last two, two or three years telling me to get a job. So I don't want to give him any more ammunition. Um, but but Jess, you know, you said um, you were asking about CWP t-shirts. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right. We need to get some t-shirts. Um, in, dare I say, in the most suitable fit for all of our listeners. You know, so if you want, if you want a baggy fit, a straight fit, you can have one. If you want a ladies fit you can have a ladies fit t-shirt this is a very very important distinction everybody should have the ones that they want now but um i think we need to get beck's new slogan um up <laughs> she does she doesn't she doesn't know she's got a new slogan but as soon as she said i wonder how it feels to be boris johnson <laughs> i figured that needed to be on a t-shirt <laughs> Oh, nobody wants to wear that, though. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Boris Johnson, Mike. We could send him one. (laughs) That'd be brilliant. Can we put a crown on the front of it with Cyber Warrior Princess around it? And then on the back, it can say, I wonder how it feels to be Boris Johnson. There needs to be a crown, like a crown on the O or something. (laughs) I can see it now. That's brilliant. You know, I'm all for humor, but we're not going to miss a promotional opportunity. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to rejoin my food one and, and the conversation we had earlier around mm-hmm. incorporating the French fries component to it. So it's going to be fries, oh, uncertainty yeah. and doubt. <laughs> fries, uncertainty and doubt. That is a hashtag just waiting to happen. <laughs> Which I think we will add. We will add to the tweets when we release this episode. I would be disappointed if you didn't. I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um I I guess on a slightly more serious note. So back to the work from home scenario. One of the things that's been interesting to me is to in talking with my coworkers and things, you know, we have various um I guess levels of expertise in the work from home department. And so some people I think have been somewhat reluctant to share where they've maybe felt, you know, like they're struggling or they're they're maybe a bit uncomfortable and trying to figure out, you know, how to balance their schedule. And have you guys um, experienced that? Or have you ever had, I guess, feedback or, or thought about that? Anything you'd like to share that might be helpful? So we're really, really lucky um, with our team. We're a, a small team at Sygenta, but we've said 
from the start that people set their own hours, you know, they work flexibly for when works for them. Half of our team was already remote. Um, and so actually for us, we shut our office nearly three weeks ago. We shut it pretty early on. Um, and the, the rest of us that didn't already work from home full time, um, moved to working from home, of course. And we've just really reinforced that message that, you know, if you have to take care of family stuff, then that's a priority. You know, if you actually, if it all gets a little bit too much one day and you just can't bear logging on or you don't want to stay working, then don't, you know, the health, family, these things are all more important than work. And um, we're lucky, you know, our team is amazing. They're passionate. They have an incredible work ethic. But for us, it's really important that they are looked after and that we recognize that, you know, they're people. And I hope that one thing that comes out of this is that we all have a bit more compassion in the workplace and in society where we recognize, you know, people have lives, they have kids, they have parents they need to take care of. We all have responsibilities and we're not machines, you know, we have to deal with emotional health, mental health, physical health, and all those things matter, actually. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. It's something, again, I was thinking about the other day, because one of the things that I've seen as a result of this is what feels like um, more compassion. You know, you see people reaching out perhaps to others that they wouldn't have necessarily perhaps reached out to. Um, and, and that's been fantastic. Oh, another example. I love this. So we participated in the um, the 8 p.m. sort of clap for the oh, NHS yeah, the other night. Likewise. And that was brilliant. And again, my wife and I had been sitting here in the house. We're like, oh, we're going to, you know, go in the street and do this. We're probably going to look like fools because no one else in our neighborhood will do it. And it was crazy. Our neighborhood was just completely insane with it. It was loud. There was whooping. There was, you know, do you say whooping in this country? There was, there was yep. loud, loud yelling. There was whistling. You know, it was fantastic. I don't. I don't say it, Vic. <laughs> I'm not surprised, Vic. <laughs> we found the same, actually. My husband and I were watching a film that evening and we sat in the alarm for five to eight and we said you know we're gonna go and do this and maybe no one else will but it's actually really important that that we go and we do it and and see because maybe other people will and uh one of our neighbors is a nurse so it felt really important from a personal point of view that at least we could hopefully show that gratitude and that she might hear it and then we couldn't believe it when we went outside in our garden um there was just an unbelievable amount of applause and whooping and fireworks. We had some fireworks. Yes, we had some too. Yes. Beautiful. Really beautiful. No, it's absolutely amazing. And again, it's that whole concept of, you know, I always um, used to tell my teams, you know, put act like you're putting someone else's glasses on. So you see the world through their lenses. And, um, and when I was working with especially teams that were sort of newer into the workforce entry level, you know, security analysts and things like that, I found that was a helpful way for them to think about and to remember, you know, not everyone is sort of dealing with the problems in the same way as I am. And it seems a bit silly to say it out loud, you know, uh, now, especially as a <clears throat> something year old adult that I am. Um, but it, it certainly seemed to resonate at that time for people to just sort of stop, you know, and take stock of the fact that, 
everyone has got, you know, a similar situation now, for example, but they're coming at it with, you know, who knows what kind of problems. And so, yeah, we're, um, and, and we've been talking about the same thing within the bank, you know, talking about, look, people need, take the flexibility that you need, you know, take care of your families first, take care of your mental health first. You know, if you are not feeling well in yourself, you're not feeling safe, you're not feeling comfortable, you don't feel your family's taken care of, you're not going to be able to bring your best self to work. So really, you know, we, we want you to be your best self at work. We need you to be your best self at work, but we need for you to take care of yourself first, you know, in order to do that. And I think we're lucky that we are in industries, you know, in these technical professions that we're in where we have that flexibility as well, because I know there's so many companies and in, in industries that don't. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, though, I think, you know, I think it should be a bit of a wake up call to some of those large players in tech who, and, you know, speaking from personal experience here, who might expect their employees because they're connected all the time to be working all the time and to be on call all the time. So, you know, we've, we've done a very good job, I think, in tech to talk the talk. And what I would like to think is that we've now got an opportunity for every single company in the space, even those that perhaps, you know, have, have had some of their employees over a barrel in the past, let's say, with an expectation that you should be working all the time, you should be on call all the time. Now's the time to reset that, to check that. Because actually, I think it should give employees confidence to be able to push back Next time they're asked to join a call at 11 p.m., next time they're pinged at five o'clock in the morning, you know, to be able to say, actually, do you know what? What COVID-19 taught me is that I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I yeah. hope so. I have I have heard from some friends working for big corporates that absolutely that situation of, you know, their organization knows they're at home and, mm -hmm. you know, they can't, they can't say that they're out or they're away or they're on holiday or whatever. So they're expected to be on call 24, seven, seven days a week, even more than they were before. And you're right. We have got to resist that. And we've got to try and set boundaries and have these big corporates recognize that people are dealing with a lot at the minute. Oh, absolutely. And the thing to keep in mind as well, to the point you made earlier, Jess, is, you know, because we are stuck at home, as it were, it's not the same thing as necessarily being available 24-7, right? I mean, I, I spent 10 years doing um, security operations. Trust me, I know what being available 24-7 is, and it's a real pain in the butt. Mm. But the the thing that we have right now is like 24-7 on steroids, because you've got whatever your home life is, you know, like you said, Jess, if you have kids, if you have parents, you you need to take care of if you have you know whatever other challenges you have maybe you're sick yourself maybe you're helping someone who's sick you know on top of trying to do the quote unquote you know 24/7 work or, or hopefully a normal work schedule but that it's just it's completely not possible to maintain for any length of time. It's just not. People are going to be burnt out. They're going to get burnt out. And then that, of course, ties back into poor performance, you know, on the job. Mm -hmm. And it just turns into that sort of vicious cycle. So yeah, I really agree with you, Jess. People need to feel that they can either call it out or, um, you know, when timing is right, obviously, to, to find jobs where they are supported. And the thing that I think is great is I feel like I 
it again feels like I'd probably need to try and see if there's actual research, but it feels like more companies are trying to appreciate the fact that we need flexibility for our uh, workforce. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I, to that point you made earlier, Becky, is I hope that we, there does seem to be a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy, a lot of recognition um, of people, key workers in society that are doing so much for us at the moment, from refuse collectors to obviously everyone working in healthcare, teachers, social workers. And I really hope that coming out of this, we we keep more of that compassion and that recognition that actually as you said, we're all facing difficulties. We all have different challenges. You never know what someone's going through and um, focusing on that compassion and focusing on some good news as well. I um, I don't know if you saw John Krasinski, um, who was in the office, the American office. He released a good news um, sort of clip show, 15-minute show on YouTube yesterday or the day before, um, where he focused on um, good news and it's called some good news and it was amazing he opened actually by talking about this this gratitude that has been rightly shown to um, healthcare workers in so many countries around the world and it continued with just absolutely lovely stories of compassion that it was so uplifting and heartwarming and you know caused a few happy tears to watch it so if you haven't seen it I highly recommend that oh I love him anyway I'll definitely look that yeah. up yeah me yeah. too all right. Well, so Jess, that's absolutely fantastic. And and uh, I've just absolutely loved the whole conversation with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Vic and I. And I know I know we're both just grateful, especially to have your time right now. So happy you're stuck at home. Um, so yeah, absolute pleasure to have you come and speak with us. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And both of you keep up the good work. <laughs> we'll certainly try. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, both of you.